New REI nurses. Take your career to the next level with NROX, the Nurses in REI Communication, Knowledge and Skills online certificate program from ASRM. NROX gives you practical applications you can use immediately and the opportunity to interact with other REI nurses and content experts. Increase your understanding of REI, make new professional connections, and gain confidence in your nursing role. To learn more about NROX, visit asrm.org nrcks. Welcome to ASRM Today, a podcast that takes a deeper dive into the current topics in reproductive medicine. I'm Jeffrey Hayes. Today on the show, we're discussing PCOS. And to help us with this is Dr. Kathleen Hoger. She is president of the AEPCOS Society, professor of OBGYN, director of Strong Fertility, division chief reproductive endocrinology and infertility, University of Rochester Medical Center in Rochester, New York. Welcome to ASRM Today. Thank you, Jeffrey. It's my pleasure to be here. Fantastic. So how did you come to be interested in the field of reproductive medicine? Oh gosh, it's going back a ways, of course. Um, you know, I, I was, I'm sort of early days of reproductive medicine. When I was a resident, IVF was still pretty much in its early days. And I didn't know a lot about it before I started my residency. And boy, my first experience in my rotation was eye-opening. And I thought, wow, this field is going to be something that's novel. It's going to meet all the needs that I saw for myself in a career. And so I did what I could to sort of get right in. And I have not regretted a single moment. I've enjoyed my career in academic medicine primarily. And uh, my special interest in PCOS. Is there currently a preferred method of treatment when it comes to PCOS? Yeah, so PCOS is quite a challenging condition. It's had its name since the 1930s. It's a bit of a misnomer of a name because it isn't actually about cysts in the ovaries as as we've come to learn, although its initial description was based on that finding at a surgical evaluation because they really didn't know what they were looking at, but the ovaries were larger and contained a lot of follicles, which were in a cystic state. So the idea that it's about cysts is wrong, but the, the condition is, you know, quite, quite a longstanding one in terms of our reproductive history. What we don't know probably outweighs what we know, unfortunately, after all these years, but what we do know and what we've learned in the last 30 years has been a lot about the connection between PCOS and its metabolic components and its reproductive components. So by its very fundamental sort of description, it's about reproduction, but it it has a much broader and more important implication to metabolic health as well. So it spans the lifespan. It starts prior to, you know, reproductive years and it goes well past reproductive years in terms of its implication. So when we talk about treatment, it would be great for us to say everybody falls into one bucket and here's the treatment. It's just not a disease that easily lends itself to that. So the way it's sort of evolved over the years is to sort of look at what is the individual who's presenting with the concerns really interested in, because it may vary depending on where they are in their lifespan. Um, So the treatments may vary. Um, We know now there's a lot of focus on treatments related to insulin resistance, because that 
link with the pathophysiology has been shown uh, through research over the last two decades to be a very strong link, but it's not the only way we approach it. So, you know, I guess the, the short answer is there's no one, one treatment, but there are lots of standard treatments that we use depending on the situation. You, you bring up a very interesting point about, you know, it, it's not just reproductive, it's metabolic as well. So what, what are we looking at when, when yeah. you talk about metabolic issues? So as I said, the insulin resistance component has become part of the underlying pathophysiology and it's estimated more than, you know, 90% of people who are eventually diagnosed with it. And we'll talk probably about how we do the diagnosis, but will have insulin resistance. So that means that there is a higher risk for that individual to get diabetes during the lifespan. And that's the main connection. But we also know that it affects things that um, are outside of just diabetes, including cardiovascular risk factors. And we're learning more each day that cardiovascular disease, you know, has its underpinnings probably early um, during the reproductive years. And women who have PCOS probably carry elevated risk, although it's a little hard to link them together entirely, there is certainly a component of abnormal lipids as well as uh, glucose abnormalities. So probably it was like, are we saying that there, that women could see a, a rise in cholesterol or yeah. things of that nature? Yeah. Cholesterol is part of the screening process that we would recommend as part of the care of uh, individuals with PCOS for sure, as well as blood pressure, which is another one that has been shown to be elevated. We get a lot of residents and fellows who, who listen to the show and they're beginning their, their journey with things. What are some things that you would like residents and fellows to know about PCOS? Yeah, I think fundamentally with PCOS, we've really come to a good understanding of what constitutes the diagnosis. Because to be fair, that seems like it's a pretty straightforward thing, right? Do you have the disease? Do you not have the disease? But PCOS has made it rather complicated because there's no one single test that we can do. It's not you know, like an infectious disease where you test positive or negative. So we have to look for the symptoms and those are threefold for the most part. So the first looks at cycling, menstrual cycling. And so people have looked at this across the majority of the individual PCOS will have some sort of menstrual dysfunction. It can run from complete amenorrhea with no periods at all to infrequent menstruation. But typically we say if there's fewer than eight menstrual cycles per year, that's abnormal and consistent with um, ovulatory dysfunction or PCOS. The second component and where the androgen excess part of the society comes from is the component that testosterone and other androgens are produced at higher rates uh, in PCOS. And so there are often androgenic side effects such as unwanted hair growth, acne, um, hair loss uh, from the scalp uh, that are noted. So if you have androgenic symptoms associated with menstrual irregularities. Those are the two prominent symptoms that allow us to make the diagnosis. Of course, we, you know, we investigate that, make sure it's not due to other causes, but in the absence of other hormonal abnormalities, we would, we would label PCOS. Now the third component is actually the way the ovaries look. We started the conversation talking about that's how the disease got its name, but on ultrasound, you can actually see these follicles and we can count them. And in a PCOS ovary, there are increased numbers of these follicles compared to um, normal reproductive aged ovaries. And so those PCOS ovaries are often larger and they contain more than uh, 20 follicles uh, that we can count. 
Now that number changes quite a bit because as ultrasound technology gets more and more efficient, that number has gone up over the years and we want to educate people about that. And it's not entirely necessary to do an ultrasound if you have the first two features of PCOS. So the main thing from a resident standpoint is you want to make sure you're getting the diagnosis properly made and early in their um, reproductive journey because that's the biggest complaint we got from patients is that they're not diagnosed. They bounce from doctor to doctor and nobody's giving them and, you know, they have multiple concerns, but when you boil it down, there's a, the PCOS is being missed. So um, the diagnosis is not tricky, but it is important to consider. And speaking of educating people, are there ways that PCOS awareness can be raised, you know, from, from the physician level? Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of interest uh, in trying to get the, the word out. I mean, PCOS Awareness Month is one way we can do that. The Energy Nexus PCOS Society, uh, you know, is obviously involved in internationally providing both patient contact as well as clinician contact. And we have meetings, et cetera, that we have one upcoming in October. Uh, associated with ASRM that we welcome all uh, interested uh, individuals to come, including patients. We have a patient support group for that as well. Uh, and primarily, I want to emphasize that we have an international group of people who are looking at this issue, and there's international guidelines which are being updated through Monash University, and um, many of the experts in PCOS have been involved in this over the years. And one of the big aspects is translating those well-thought-through systematic reviews and carefully evidence-based recommendations out to the general public. So ASRM has been involved in endorsing those international guidelines as well as the Endocrine Society and the APCOS Society. So we really feel like there's a lot of opportunities for people to learn. There's it's, it's never too much, really. We definitely have the opportunity to continue the outreach to the, to the general population as well as doctors who are interested. Of course, you are also a part of the ASRM Androgen Excess Special Interest Group. What's been going on with the group this year? Yeah, so we have been an integral part of ASRM for a number of years, and each year uh, we've held a postgraduate course in association with the ASRM, and this year the president of the AESIG is uh, Dr. Wendy Vitek, and she will be um, leading that postgraduate course, and we have a number of sessions each year in the ASRM as well. So the membership is is quite large in the AESIG, a lot of interest from um, early career as well. We support a lot of the early career career individuals with mentorship um, by some of the senior investigators. So it's a great opportunity if you have an interest in PCOS as part of the ASRM to get involved. Wonderful. I, thank you so much for being able to take time to be on the show today. And I, and I know it's getting to that crazy time of year where the semester is kicking in and you know, it's 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 just that time, you know, fall. Yeah. Uh, my guest today uh, has been Dr. Kathleen Hoger, and she's been gracious enough to talk about PCOS and PCOS awareness. Thank you so much for being able to do the show. You're very welcome. It's my pleasure. You can subscribe and rate the show on Apple, Google, Stitcher. Lord knows there's so many podcatchers these days. Uh, but if you uh, you want to find us, you can go to asrm.org. If you have questions about the show, you can email us, asrm at asrm.org. And I'm Jeffrey Hayes, and this is ASRM Today. This concludes this episode of ASRM Today. For show notes, author information, and discussions, go to asrmtoday.org. This material is copyrighted by the American Society for Reproductive Medicine and may not be reproduced or used without express consent from ASRM.
ASRM Today Series podcasts are supported in part by the ASRM Corporate Member Council. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ASRM and its affiliates. These are provided as a source of general information and are not a substitute for consultation with a physician.